text that uh, Sean read a bit ago, uh, Isaiah 11. And we're going to start out looking at that. We won't stay there the whole time today in this uh, sermon portion of our, of our worship, but I do want to start there with you and talk about a couple things from Isaiah. I'm glad you're here today. Hope you've had a good week. It's always good to be with uh, God's people at this place on Sunday morning as we get to worship, so I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm with Sid on this waiting thing. <clears throat> Birthdays and Christmases. and uh, I remember <clears throat> one, one of my things growing up was uh, we always took a trip to Six Flags in Atlanta every summer with my cousins. And man, I love that trip. <clears throat> Somehow in the last... 34 years, um, Six Flags has lost a little bit of its luster for me, but <clears throat> back then, when I was 12, you know, I couldn't sleep, you know, I mean, I was so excited, I, I, I prayed that God would help me to sleep so I would get here sooner, you know, Usually he didn't answer that prayer, I stayed awake all night. There's that sense, I, I guess everybody can relate to in some way, whether it's from our childhood memories or it's something now with, as Sid said, um, a child coming home for the holidays maybe or maybe waiting on someone who's who's serving abroad in the military or I don't know you can think of a million scenarios I'm guessing you know it, it came to it kind of as I was thinking about this text and thinking about some of the things that are mentioned in it it, it, it I, I kind of realized something that I don't know if I've ever focused on as much as I should have and that is that there was, in a very real sense, within the Jewish world, always a great sense of anticipation. I mean, they were always looking for something. Always looking for something. That's not bad, necessarily. I mean, there's, that's, not, that's not a bad thing. In fact, God, God promoted this in many ways in the Old Testament. You think about, think about their, their, their lives, with, even with Abraham, the early patriarchs, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were anticipating what God was going to do, you know? Hebrews 11 talks about that. The, the writer there says that these guys looked forward to something that they never got to experience fully. So Abraham looked to that time when his people would dwell in the land. I mean, but you can go back a little bit more with that. Abraham was promised a child, you know? 25 years later, the child wasn't here yet, almost, but not quite. He and Sarah were looking forward to that day when God gave them a little boy, you know? And, and, but that, that kind of anticipation, that kind of hopeful waiting was a part of the DNA, as it were, of being a, uh, being a Jew. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they waited, they waited, they waited. Even you go, you go ahead a little bit more to the book of Exodus when the Jewish people were held captive. The Israelite people were held captive in Egypt for 400 years and there was in them this spirit of waiting, of suffering, of anticipating. They cried out, how long, O Lord, you know? When are you going to deliver us? God answered the prayer in the book of Exodus. You remember that story? But for 400 years they waited. They anticipated getting to live in the land of Canaan. They waited in the wilderness, you know, 40 years. They finally got to go into the land. But, but what, what kind of came to me this week just is this cycle of, of waiting and expectancy and then realization and then waiting. They got to the land, and, and there was a sense in which they finally got there, you know. They, they finally got to experience it. But even then, there was this 
kind of looking ahead to something better, to something, I don't know, something more real, something that's better than this experience. You know, there's a sense in which, we talk about this a lot here, but, but there's a sense in which we have this innate sense of expecting something more. Even when we, you know, on Christmas morning next, next week, you know, you'll, uh, you'll experience, many of you will experience this, I don't know, especially maybe, maybe the kids, you'll experience, oh yeah, you got, you know, the number one thing on your wish list or whatever. And you'll open it on Christmas morning, maybe, if that's when you do presents. You'll open it on Christmas morning. <clears throat> and I'm not trying to spoil this at all, because uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. I think it's a great thing. But I, but I hope you also recognize that, that that thing, whatever, that number one thing on your wish list, it's not going to be as, again, I'm, it's not going to be as great. It's not going to solve all your problems, you know. It's not going to make life good. Yeah, it'd be cool, and I'm not trying to take anything off of that, only that I think you need to recognize that it's, it's not going to be the end all, you know? You'll get tired of that thing, maybe by Christmas afternoon, I don't know. You, you get to, it, won't, it won't be everything that you want it to be, because it wasn't created to be that, you know? But even, even in life, in, in bigger things, not just Christmas presents, but just in life, there's the Israelite people got to the land of Canaan, and then they were restless. They were still restless. They, and, they, and they got comfortable, but they were restless, and so they didn't do what they were supposed to do, so God took them out of the land. In fact, Isaiah is kind of dealing with that, uh, anticipating what, what we normally call the exile, you know, the captivity, the go away into Babylonian captivity. So Isaiah is anticipating that in, in Isaiah 11. They go to exile, and you know what they want? They want to go home. They're anticipating going home. You know what happened when they got home? When they got back after 70 years, when they got back to Canaan? You know what they wanted? They wanted something more. So there's a lot of this anticipation, as we're talking about today, and they were, they were looking. They didn't always know what they were looking for, but God helped them to see they were actually anticipating the coming of Messiah, the coming of God to be a blessing to them, to fulfill what they were trying to fulfill in other kinds of ways through the accumulation of material things, through family, through things that are maybe good but not great, good but not the thing. So, I say all that to, to bring us to Isaiah 11. Now, I'm not going to stay long here. I, I really want you to get the gist of, of, of one main thing, and that is... The anticipation. Look, look at Isaiah. If you've got your Bible there with you, Isaiah 11. Notice what, notice what he says. There shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. I mean, you, you may know already what he's talking about. I don't know that they fully understood, but the stump of Jesse is going to be like, <clears throat> it's going to be, you know, like there's, you've seen a stump out here in a field or in a forest. It's been just chopped off at the base, you know. Dad, nothing's going to come out of that thing. At least it looks like nothing's going to come out of that thing. But in that stump, you see a little green shoot. There's life there. 
What God is saying, you're going into exile. It's going, to be, it's going to be like you're cut off at the very ground. But God is going to raise up a little green shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's going to look like the lineage of Jesse. And you, you know who Jesse was, right? Jesse was the father of David. So Jesse to David to Rehoboam to Abijah to on and on and on, these kings who reign from that lineage of Jesse, you know. And, and the kings are going to be cut off, and it's going to look like no other king's going to ever reign from the lineage of Jesse. It's done. It's dead. Cut off at the roots, you know. But there's going to come a little green sprout. There shall come... Fourth, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And of course, we're looking at this from a perspective they didn't quite have. They knew something was coming. They didn't know exactly what it was. But we look at this and we know what happens after this. We know that what Isaiah is talking about is God is going to bring up Jesus from the lineage of Jesse and David and Rehoboam and Abijah and all these kings. He's going to bring Jesus who's going to be the king that Israel never had. They wanted but never had. He's going to be, be the king that David could never be as good as he was in some respects. He is so flawed. Yeah, that's why we know about Bathsheba. That's why we know about those stories so that we would understand David was a great king in some ways, but man, he was messed up. Jesus is going to come from that lineage and he's not going to have those problems. He's going to be the king that Israel always wanted. So he's going to come from the stump of Jesse and they're anticipating this. They're anticipating this great king. Notice the future orientation. Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. I can't, think about, I can't help but think about Matthew 3, when the Spirit descended like a dove at the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and fear and so on. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, he shall not judge. Notice the anticipation. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. Look at verse 5 in, in Isaiah 11. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Sometimes the Bible uses euphemisms. Bible, not always, but often is, is, is quite proper in the way it words things. But those who read Hebrew can often help us to see some of the, some of the language, some of, some of the implications of this. And you know what? This is, this is fascinating. It's kind of it's cool, I think. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You know what he's saying there? Is that when Messiah comes, righteousness, I'm, I'm not being crass here. I'm, I want you to see what he's saying. Righteousness is going to be his undergarments. This is going to be his underwear. That's what, that's, what his, that's what verse 5 is saying. Isn't that pretty neat? You know what he means by that? It is going to be such a part of his character. He uses the, the, the most intimate of clothing, your undergarments. It's a metaphor to say that when Messiah comes, he's not going to, he's not going to judge based on appearances. He's not going to do what? He's not going to be manipulating things and thinking, oh, well, if I do this, then it's going to help me. You know, and, and kind of a political kind of maneuvering thing. No, he, he, righteousness is such a part of his being that he cannot help but act consistently with his nature. That's what that language in verse 5 means. So he's anticipating the coming of Messiah. And then he says this kind of confusing and weird, but 
exciting language when the wolf will lie down with the lamb or dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together. I love this. The little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their children will lie down together. The lion's going to eat straw like an ox. <clears throat> and verse 8 is especially neat. Little bitty nursing baby shall play over the hole of the cobra. And then a little toddler can put his or her hand on this dangerous snake's home. No worries. No worries. Man, isn't that neat? <clears throat> he's anticipating when Messiah reigns, he's going to change the very nature of things. The, the, the lion, the wolf doesn't, by nature, by his nature, does not dwell with a lamb. The wolf, by his nature, will eat the lamb. That's going to be changed. The, the leopard doesn't lie down with a goat. That's not her nature. A, a cow and the bear don't graze together. That's not their nature, right? A child, a, a nursing baby or a toddler, they don't, they don't play with snakes without harm, you know? See, everything's going to change. God's going to change the very nature of things. And so the, the, Isaiah is helping them to anticipate in a very real way what God is going to do. Now, I don't know exactly what all that means in verses 6 through 9. You know, I don't think anybody does know fully. But here's what I think that it means. I think he's looking ahead in, in two ways. I think he's looking ahead to the time when Jesus would come in the first coming, when he would, when he would become King of kings and Lord of lords, and he would reign over his church, that there's a sense in which Isaiah is anticipating that when Christ reigns, this is what it looks like. Your nature, my nature, is to be competitive. Your nature and my nature is to be selfish and to manipulate things so that it works out well for me. That's my nature. God's going to change that. And to the extent, even at this moment, even at this moment, to the extent that I submit to the reign of Christ, that selfishness is eliminated. I said two senses, though. You know why I think it's talking about two senses? Because you and I still act pretty often according to selfish interests. Don't we? So I don't think this has been completely fulfilled yet. I believe there's a sense in which this is fulfilled whenever Christ reigns in your life, in my life, in the church today, that you've got this sense of peace, of, uh, of, of harmony, of, of people acting in, inconsistently with their selfish, carnal natures, the wolf or the lamb and, and so on. But I believe he's also looking ahead to, I mentioned this earlier, we talked a little bit about the second coming. I believe that he's looking ahead to the first coming, but the first coming only, the, the first coming helps us to anticipate the final coming when everything will be as it ought to be. When the Lord reigns in all of his glory at that final time, on that final day, in that day, the root of Jesse, he is going to stand as a signal for the peoples in the sense that's fulfilled now, but it's not fully filled. It's not fully filled. It's not fulfilled. 
until that time. So, but, but here's, you know, what I wanted us primarily to notice here is that just a sense of anticipation, they're looking for something. And what I want to suggest to you is that that is part of what it means to live in faith. Uh, we've, we've got the same, it's not as if, okay, Christ has come and now we're done waiting. No, no, no. It's not, that's not the way it works. You've you got anticipation here though. But quickly, look at this. Matthew 3, um, you've got John the Baptist who comes and he says, this is he. There's a sense in which... In the gospel accounts, that, that thing you learn maybe as a child. Um, you know, uh, the Old Testament, Jesus is coming, and the gospels, Jesus is here, and, and uh, Acts through Revelation, Jesus is coming again. There's a sense in which that's a pretty good way of uh, talking about the Bible story. But in the, in the gospel accounts, you've got a rival. He's here. He's here. We'll talk about his birth next Sunday morning. I'm looking forward to that. He's here. He has come. This is he, Matthew 3, 3. There was eight chapters later, John was struggling, and maybe you and I struggle sometimes with this as well. John earlier had confidently said, this is he, he's the one, he's, he's come. You know, Matthew 11, he's asking a question, is this the one? Kind of doubting it, he would come to that conviction, and he would truly believe that Jesus is here. But the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is, he has arrived. What the Jewish people have been waiting for for thousands of years, he is here, right? But then this one. <clears throat> I mentioned a second ago. It's not like you and I, okay, all right, Jesus has come, so we, we don't have any more anticipation. Look at, look at this text for a second. I really just want you to get one idea from this. I mentioned this maybe a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> Listen to this. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, writing. James 5, 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. By the way, I think that's, that's how I sing that song we sang a few minutes ago before that, that Kyle led for us before the uh, sermon. As, uh, Jesus is coming soon. He's at hand. So that's, I think that's what, that's what that's talking about. That's what... It's what we sing. It's what we believe when we sing it. Is that the coming of the Lord is close by. It's at hand. It could be at any, any moment. It's, 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 right, it's right beside us. It's, it's in the near future. Certainly from the perspective of God. Maybe from our own perspective. I don't know. But, but, but you see what he's saying. We live with anticipation. We live hoping for that day. 2 Peter 3, hasting unto the coming of the day of God. We look forward to it. And if you feel restless this morning, which that, I think, is all of us in a way, you feel restless like something isn't what it ought to be, um, that, that you feel, man, I, I, we do this all the time. I'm, I, I, I'm looking forward to whatever. I'm looking forward to my... To having children, maybe, maybe that's not you, but for some of you, maybe that's what you're looking forward to having children. Or, man, I can't wait till these children get out of diapers. You know, I can't wait till they're all walking. I can't wait till they get a little bit more independence. I can't wait till they go to school. I can't wait to get these kids out of the house. 
I can't wait, I don't know, get, to get married. I can't wait to retirement. I can't wait to the promotion. I can't wait to get more money. I can't wait to... There's a sense in which you and I can spend our entire lives waiting for the next stage, and that's when we'll be happy, you know? But all waiting, all anticipating is not bad. We just got to wait for the right thing. And that money and getting the kids to a different stage or getting that relationship to the next stage or getting your job, your career to the next stage, if that's what we're waiting on, we're going to live in a perpetual state of restlessness because that next stage is not going to fix what's messed up inside of you and me. But we ought to live in anticipation of what God is doing and what He has promised He will fully do on that day. And that is what James says. We wait like the farmer for the harvest. Now, harvest is not more money. It's not less stress. It's not a better life. Not, not in the earthly sense. What we anticipate is the, the final harvest when Isaiah 11 will fully come true and the wolf will graze with a lamb. The bear and the cow will eat together or whatever. You know, it's... We look forward to that day when God will make everything as it ought to be. We anticipate that. And so we wait. We wait for the coming of the Lord. I hope, I hope maybe you and I both will, all of us will just live with a sense of anticipation, but anticipating the right thing. See, I, I, think, I think everybody in here is waiting on something. I just think we need to be waiting for the right thing. That's the only thing that's going to fix what's broken inside of us. You know, God is reigning now. Jesus is reigning now. But you and I struggle to submit fully to that reign. On that day, we will be freed from all of our selfishness and all of our, just the, all this stuff still messed up inside us. God's going to fully fix that. And we will live under his authority in a real sense, enjoying all the blessings of that. If you're not a Christian this morning, you know, what we're saying to you, what I hope we're speaking well, accurately on his behalf, on the Lord's behalf, what he wants to say to you is what he said here in, in these texts, and that is Jesus has come. Submit to him. Submit to him. Whatever you've been waiting on and pursuing and chasing after is not going to fix that thing that's messed up inside of you. Only the one who created you can fix that. And he fixes that as you learn over time to submit more and more to the will of him, to his reign. So we invite you on his behalf to come to him with faith, trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, turning away from those things that you've done or not done that have been inconsistent with his will. And, and you, you come confessing your faith. You, you come to be baptized into him. And he washes your sins away by his blood. You can do that on this day to say to him, I want to be yours. Please work with me and let your spirit have control over my life. Maybe you need to, you've done that, maybe, but you need to come back today because your life has been lived inconsistently with that confession. We want you to know that we'll pray for you. If there's anybody who needs to come today, I hope you'll do it now. Let's go ahead and stand and sing this song for your encouragement.